Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today I'm chatting with Angela Lanning, the Chief Operations Officer of Informatics and Technology Services at Premier. A big part of Angela's job is bringing people together to solve problems and share best practices. Let's hear her talk about it. Thank you for joining me today, Angela. I would love to learn more about you and hear more about your place within the health IT ecosystem. Can you take a minute to introduce yourself and what you do? Yes, Joy. First, let me thank you for the opportunity to participate on your podcast. I've listened to so many of them and learned so much. So I really do appreciate the opportunity. My name's Angela Lanning, and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of our Informatics and Technology Division at Premier. And so what that means is I'm responsible for our product strategy, most of our operations. So the implementations, the training, the customer support, and then working, my team works with the engineering team to ensure we deliver product. One of the things that we uh, pride ourselves on at Premier is we have large data aggregation and management capabilities. So our domains span from supply chain, financial, workforce management, quality and clinical surveillance. So we bring data in from multiple systems, normalize, cleanse it, risk adjust it, and then present that back in applications for our customers, all in the name of performance improvement. Our goal is to provide insights back to our customers that help them drive performance improvement 
We also have some workflow capabilities where we can embed interventions so we can make the change management piece of those processes easier to do. Look, in healthcare, nothing seems easy, but we're working really hard to reduce some of the burden our clinicians face from a technology perspective. And then there's one other thing I do that's technology enabled, but we own these collaborative. We bring those folks together to solve problems together and share best practices. They use data, they use our technology, but we also put clinicians on site with them to help them with their performance improvement. So all of that said, that's what I'm responsible for, along with uh, making sure we have a strong PL. Okay, so if I understand that correctly, like yeah. you basically have years and years of experience in helping clinicians improve their performance in both quality programs and out and just like their financial, of course, and then population health as well. That's right. So quality, clinical surveillance, population health, supply chain. So Premier is a big group purchasing organization. So we help make sure that their supply chain efficiency is there. They're managing their contracts effectively. You know, we bring that data together too, to say, okay, you're using these types of supplies. Are they clinically effective? So are your outcomes positive? And does it matter whether or not you use the most expensive supply or not. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So we help them at least look at that and make informed decisions, uh, the types of supplies and drugs they're using on their patients and how those drive outcomes. So if I'm trying to understand like the number clinics or medical facilities that you're supporting, it's not mm-hmm. just one. You're not like, hey, I'm building a team for, for right. one hospital or one clinic to just perform its best. How many are we talking here? So it depends on the domain, but all are over a thousand. So my background and foundation has all been in mostly quality reporting. I've shifted into, and I can talk about that a little later, supply chain and workforce management over the last six years. But my career of 29 years, a lot of it's been spent on quality reporting. So on the quality clinical space, it's about 1,200 hospitals. Supply chain is about 3,000. And then workforce management and physician practice is a about 600 hospitals, but 40,000 providers or physicians, if that helps. Yeah. Okay. So well, that just means that your analytics and your reporting must be insanely robust. Like, Yes. <laughs> we believe our footprint in it is very large. We know it's very large. And we believe because we're so large, we can help our health systems view other health systems and benchmark with them so they can see relative performance. So because we're such a large footprint, you know how every health system says, well, I'm different because of this. Well, we're able to kind of modify their benchmarks to be able to be more like them, whether or not they're an academic medical center, a large community IDN, or just physician practice or clinic. And do you find or have you found over the years that like being able to compare results from different hospitals creates competition and people are like, I want to be at the top of my game. So they want to be like me, not vice versa. I do. And I think transparency of that to our clinicians helps, right? They don't know what they don't know. And I do think it creates this competition, but, and it also creates this, oh, I didn't realize that was the case. And so, yeah, I want to do this differently so that my outcomes are better. Absolutely. With clinicians, you see that all the time. Also supply chain materials may Managers. I mean, their goal is to make the create a very efficient supply chain. And then on workforce management and productivity, it's nice to know how other health systems are staffing their departments. 
what their relative quality is related to that staffing. It may not always correlate. I'm not saying statistically it always correlates, but it's still good information to have because we use a lot of qualitative information when we say things and to present actual information back to say, here's what the data shows, I think is very helpful for folks. Are there any results you can share either in terms of outcomes where it's like you've like, because of what information and data and analytics you're able to provide that you've seen, you know, significant improved outcomes in a particular area. And then also I'd be interested in the supply chain aspect where you're to your point that sometimes it matters if it's the most expensive piece of equipment and sometimes you can probably get away with the generic. Right. I think you know this well. There's a lot of waste in healthcare, right? I mean, and part of that, no one is purposefully going out there to be wasteful. I will tell you, so I'm going to go back to early in my career, 2003, our first collaborative, and you may have heard of this, the Hospital Quality Incentive Demonstration Project, the first value-based care demonstration with CMS. It was before we had any value-based care initiatives with the government. We were the first demonstration and we brought 200 hospitals together, created the technology that then drove outcomes around what you saw, what you see in the inpatient outpatient quality reporting programs now. And now you see we're topping off on process measures and, and retiring them, right? But that was our first and that was so long ago. But to be honest, it's taking a lot of work to get us to continue those improvements. We just got our results on our Medicare shared savings program and showed that our collaborative with our technology. So we have an ACO insights platform that leverages the Medicare claims data because it's a Medicare program. The shared savings of our members were about 20% higher than the national average. So we were really excited about those outcomes. And then for a specific, we do a lot. We have an advisory services or consulting group that goes out and helps drive supply chain savings. And many of our customers right now have goals of 50 to $100 million of savings they need to take out. And the you know, there's really two dollars, two big buckets of dollars in healthcare. There's workforce and there's supplies. So we really go and use our data to look at clinical variation and where there's high variation, help them drive down unnecessary use of any procedure or supply against a benchmark. But we also help them understand which supplies may like or drugs. There's some expensive drugs out there and moving from IV to oral can create some savings, believe it or not. And there's certain days which you, in which you can do that from a process perspective where you get savings and the outcomes of the patient are still really good. So those are some examples I would give um, that we've seen. I was listening to a session at a conference earlier this week and they were talking about the implementation of some software that helped them understand all of their quality data, right? So you like right. literally give them their lists of everybody that, mm-hmm. you know, here's the patients that you need to go address for this particular thing, or here's all the patients yeah. that have, you know, diabetes and need yes. to be followed up with whatever. Mm-hmm. But they were talking about creating efficiency in terms of like, they started out with a team of 17 full-time employees and based on their workflow and the data, they were able to reduce that down to 12. And in my head, I'm just like, wait, those are people. So those, right. so because of that technology 
five people lost their job. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not enough work to do, right? There's still plenty right. of work to be done. I'm right. sure that they could have been transitioned to another. Today, our workforce, we have so many shortages, right? And I can give in my own experience. I just had spine surgery nine weeks ago. I was on the orthopedic floor. The nurses were all asked to take on 30% more rooms. And the COVID, the ICU floor was full of COVID patients. So they were all having to do additional work beyond what they would typically have to do. So I think anything we can do to reduce things that are not going to directly impact the patients and allocate those resources back to patient care and make the tech and analytics piece of it less cumbersome, the better off we're going to be. But depends on the types of roles. I think in healthcare, we're going to continue to see shortages across the board. I mean, data scientists, data managers, I don't think, I'm sure hopefully they had other places they could go that were more valuable to the patients. I feel like the, the more we learn about healthcare and just the longer I spend in it, it's like there's no shortage of things to do. <laughs> that job may have gone away, but there's definitely more work to be done. And unfortunately in healthcare, I think it takes twice as long or 10 times as long as it does in other industries because we just lack, still lack interoperability and standards that most industries have, right? So, but we've got to fix it. And I mean, I think you are definitely a person who want, who's working hard to make sure that Healthcare has a is value based, and the U.S. pays so much more for our healthcare, and we get less. Right? I mean, we can fix this, but I mean, it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take some big decision. It may take some government interventions to force some additional things around the tax stacks and what we do from an interoperability perspective. We're making progress, but we need to do more. Yeah. I mean, there's a misalignment in incentives and yes. also just the amount of technology and well, just dots that need to be connected in general. Like we kind of joke that it's a 3000 piece puzzle that needs to be put together, but it's like a million piece puzzle. There's so much that goes into it. It is. And it seems like, you know, I had to go pick up an MRI disc from one office and bring it to another to get a second opinion. I actually had to drive and get a disc. I hadn't seen a disc in I don't know how many years. This was 12 weeks ago. That doesn't seem right, does it? No, not so. Do you mind my asking about no, the, ask the procedure? No, anything you want. Yes. So if you, from where you stand, because you, you sit on the side of sort of seeing the back end of what's going on in healthcare, mm -hmm. going in as a patient, what was your experience? Did you get any different insights? Yeah, so I was actually shocked by how I thought technology was further along then it is. Because I'm not on the front lines all the time, I miss some things. So I needed a second opinion around what I needed to do about my back. And so like I told you, I had to go pick up this disc and take it to another office. I had to fax a HIPAA release form. I don't own a fax machine. So I had to go to FedEx to fax it. And then they told me it'd be two weeks to get my medical record transferred over to the other office. I ended up, because I know some folks here in Charlotte, to be able to navigate that and expedite some things. But the fact that we're still faxing and still using DISC, to me, the utopia would be all of our physicians can see all of my information as long as I want them to, no matter what. We don't have that unified patient portal. We have EMRs, but they're, you know, everyone's still very siloed. And even if you're on the same system and in the same practice, 
you sometimes can't get the same information. So Utopia for me, and so my experience from the technology perspective was not that good. And then the nurses were complaining about the EMR as they were in my room. And, you know, of course, I was asking a lot of questions because I wanted to understand their experience. They have so much, so many other things to worry about that we have to make these things easier. And I'm someone who's in this business and I struggled to navigate it technically. And so I thought to my, I think we have to do better. So my experience was not that great from a technical perspective. It was a great experience from a clinical perspective. Anytime I need to fax anything, I always like sign up for one of those free e-fax services. Because you oh, can use your good. email and basically like, oh, just make sure you cancel it right away. But right. That's smart. I just I went over to our, the, I know our UPS guy and I went over there and he helped me. But just think about elderly folks and people who can't drive to an office and pick up a desk, right? There's so many things that I was able to do that others wouldn't be able to do. And it has to be easier. And right? even for you, with it's still a struggle. At right. Times. Yeah. And you're in pain or you're sick. You don't. That's a lot. You don't want to worry about those things. You just mm-hmm. want to get the situation resolved. So it wasn't the best experience, but it, it's it strengthened my resolve and my purpose and my why and trying to make this better. That's good. <laughs> and I hope that you're on the road to recovery. I am, and I will tell you, I've had a breakthrough the last two weeks, feeling so much better. So yes, and I'm in physical therapy. Highly recommend it for anyone who goes through any type of surgery. They really are helpful. I'm doing great. Thanks for wishing me well. Of course. So I want to know a little bit about you personally. And I've been kind of asking everybody lately, like, did you know what you wanted to do when you were 10 or 15 years old? Did you have like, did you think that you would be where you are now? No, not at all. I thought I would be, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, 2000 people. And I thought New York City was the most glamorous place ever. And I wanted to be in the fashion industry at 10 and 15. I was good at math and science and my dad was an engineer. And so the practical side of me decided to go to engineering school, but I did go to North Carolina State. So I left upstate New York and did, I wanted to go to a big university. But even at North Carolina State, they didn't have a healthcare discipline. I didn't know there was engineering in healthcare until I applied for a job at a company called Sun Health, which then merged to become Premier. So I've basically been with the same company for almost 29 years. No, I had no idea that this is what I would do, but I'm really happy that the paths I've been given have brought me here. So and no regrets. You've never been tempted to be like, oh, let me go see what's going on on the other side of the country or just like really switch things up. You really switch things up. So I have been tempted, but I'm sort of a creature of habit and I do kind of like my East Coast life and I like four seasons, but not drastic. So North Carolina kind of gives me four seasons, but nothing uh, too crazy. I do want to go to Europe and travel and vacation. As soon as some of these restrictions are lifted, our family will be going and and enjoying that. And I'd love to do more to explore actually on the ground what's happening in Europe as it relates to healthcare, because I think we can learn a lot from that. Definitely. You know, I do really like North Carolina, my business partner, and one of my best friends, Robin, is actually based out of Charlotte as well. She is? Yes. Okay, good. Well, I'll have to meet her. 
She's great. I mean, one of my favorite humans. So, Good. but she doesn't, she's working from, I mean, that, that lady's busy. She's momming full time and working full time and just like making it all happen. I yeah. have a 15 year old too. And that is interesting to say the least. I <laughs> adore him, but 15 year olds don't necessarily <laughs> adore their parents. <laughs> no, yeah, no, she's got an almost 17 year old daughter. And so okay. I get to hear through her what parenting a teenager is like. And I'm just like, Good luck. Do you remember being a teenager? I do. I, and I remember thinking I knew everything. So For sure. Well, on the topic of teens, is there any advice you would give to a teenager that you think they might actually listen to as far as <laughs> their well, career? I love that question because I keep trying to give my son advice about just do your best and work hard. Opportunities will come. You have to put in the effort and the work and opportunities will come. I don't think a lot of them want to hear that, but I do think it's true. Where hard work and does pay off and it does pay off. You end up, whatever success means to you, if you work hard, it typically will come your way. And so that I, I think teenagers, it's hard to be a teenager right now. They have so many different distractions than we had. Or, and especially I had, I mean, cell phones and social media and all of that. I also would give them advice to shut down the social media for some period of time and, and not let it take over because it can. I got to say, I'm very grateful that social media wasn't around when I was in high school. Me too. Me too. And I always say, don't do anything on social media you wouldn't want everyone in the world to see you doing because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. But their frontal lobe isn't fully developed until 25. So, you know. They've got a minute. <laughs> they do have a minute. You know, somebody, I was in a meeting recently and the woman we were meeting with was talking about like, hey, listen, you got to make sure you're ready for to receive, right? Like, are you in a position to receive whatever the universe has in store for you? Sometimes mm -hmm. you say, I want something or I want to go in this direction. You have your goals, but like, it can happen so quickly, like change can happen so quickly. So mm -hmm. I've been sort of meditating on that. Like, am I in a position? Am I ready to receive? Because you feel like what your idea is, I'm, I feel like I can grow this much, but you know, there's a lot of options out there. There are so many options. And sometimes opportunities come to you that you least expect. And that's happened to me in my career. And I never thought I was qualified to take those on. But what I've learned is, Surround yourself with people who understand what it is that the new opportunity is. Soak in as much knowledge as you can and empower a team to do what they do best. And you can really take on anything and you have to be willing and you have to be ready to receive. That's totally true. And I think the pandemic has had us all self-reflect on what we want to receive and how much we want to receive. But I do think sometimes we play a tape in our head that says we can't do something or we don't think we're qualified and maybe we're not, but we can get qualified, you know? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to go do spine surgery, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, and sometimes the, you know, universe might have something in store for you that you never could have even imagined for yourself, that that's it's right. actually even better than what you could have imagined for yourself. And that's the part is like, oh, are you open to that? Because, you know, dream bigger. If your dreams don't scare you, you're not dreaming big enough. I agree. Get out of your comfort zone. Be willing to try things that you've never done before and uh, welcome a lot of different people and 
industries into your life, right? I mean, we can learn so much in healthcare if we look at other industries and how they've been, you know, people never want to compare supplies to humans, but there's a lot we can learn from the entire process of building things to how we can better take care of patients. So I agree with you. And, you know, I've sometimes I've taken a lot of risk and there's been times in my life that I've not wanted to take risks. Like I had a newborn and I was barely awake, you know, things like that. So life has a way of telling you when you're ready and when you're not. We just, I like your, I think you're, you are ready for whatever the universe has to bring you joy. It's very apparent and you've taken a lot of, you've done big things. So, I mean, it's impressive. I've definitely been scared, scared, scared of myself. I'm like, okay, here we go. Get ready to jump off this cliff, but landed, thankfully. Right? Yes. <laughs> you have, and, and if you don't take any risk, life's going to be pretty boring. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, and it's nice to surprise yourself. And and honestly, like being on the other side of, of something big, being able to look back and just know like, hey, I did that. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're exactly right. I think there's so many things in healthcare that have occurred over the last 29 years of my career that have catapulted us. I think we're slogging along. And then I say, wow, this really helped us a lot, but I didn't see it at the time. Well, I mean, before we wrap up, is there anything that comes to your mind as far as like in looking back at your career, maybe something that made a really big difference that at the time you didn't know that's what it was I will think, you know, I think a few things. We had, we applied for the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award back in 2006, which is a long time ago, but the work involved with that and getting ready and building that into the fabric of the organization felt so painful. I mean, but the reward was was more than winning the award was we actually optimized our business into an operating model that was so much better than I could have imagined. But the work effort involved sometimes just felt like we're never going to get there. That's one. We're getting ready to embark on one that I'd like to highlight before I hang up that I don't know if we're going to impact. But You know, I talked about our collaborative capabilities. We just signed with HHS to work with 220 hospitals that we recruited, and they're going to use our data. And the goal is to look at how we can reduce maternal morbidity and mortality rates, and especially in areas where there's socioeconomic issues. So we're going to do what we've done for years around these collaboratives and really work hard to see what we can do to improve those outcomes. And so I hope if you and I talk again in a few years, I'm able to tell you that we were successful. But I'm I don't know so yet. Glad, well, I'm so glad you brought it up. So that's something that we've been really fo- well internally focusing on and just trying to just like set our intention of like, hey, what is it that we can do to really like make a dent and it had bring the right people to have the right conversations, look at the data and be like, okay, how can we fix this? Cause this is essentially unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And there's interventions and practices out there that we need to test. We keep saying their best practices, but we're not implementing a lot of them. And we don't quite know exactly how we're going to deal with the access issues and the socioeconomic issues, right? And getting that data and understanding that's been difficult. So we're going we're gonna to work on that. But yeah, so would love to keep engaging with you as we're learning. Um, we're just now finishing up our recruitment of the hospitals and getting ready. We have clinicians that are going to go to all 220 hospitals to do an assessment of where they are using their data and also their practices on the ground. So 
I'm hoping we're going to learn a lot. Well, let me like just plug something because yep. I had a great conversation with somebody at Hims who was telling me she worked at a hospital and she was saying that it, they were getting a lot of great results by actually hiring certified nurse midwives as staff at the hospital and basically okay. ha- assigning a midwife to each patient because that person was dedicated to focusing on the mother's health, not so much on the, the baby. Yeah. She was telling me that it required a bunch of community outreach. So it was like creating trust within the community for those folks to even trust them as a hospital to work for them and that they had like their best interest in mind. But that those folks that ended up, um, you know, speaking different languages and parts of different, you know, communities themselves, that they were as as they were spending time at the hospital, you know, building trust, not just with the mothers, but also others in the community. And she said, I don't know how many hospitals hire, the, you know, CNMs as actual staff, but apparently right. it's got really good outcomes. So, well, thank you for that. I will share that with the team for sure, because we... We don't profess to know all the answers. We're going we're trying to figure them out and work with people who like that. And I'd be maybe offline we can talk about who it is. Maybe they're participating in this. So I'd love to I would be happy to share. Yeah, because I was picking her brain. I was like, tell me what works. Cause we <laughs> yes, it's ridiculous that in this country we're having this issue. I mean, I just it's not okay. No, it's not okay. Well, I'm really happy to hear that that's an, an initiative that you guys are working on. And yes, let's absolutely check back in in a few years to see the results. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe in between, we can talk about things you're doing and, and work together. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, a lot of what we're trying to do is connect the dots, That's like right. making sure that people know and are aware of others within the industry so that we can support each other and get farther faster. Yes. I mean, that's my why and why I've stayed in this role, stayed with Premier is to try to make a difference. And some days you feel like you're doing something and some days you're like, we're not, we're going to get, you know, you go kind of back and forth, but you got, we've got to keep working at it. Yep. Well, thank you for all that you're doing. If people want to find you or work with you Mm -hmm. or follow you, what would be the best way for them to do so? So I'm on LinkedIn and also my email. I'm best if you want to actually reach out and talk to me. I respond well to email because I see that the most. Uh, Angela underscore Lanning at premierinc.com. But I'm also under Angela Lanning on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to talk with anyone and connect with anyone. And I really just appreciate the time today, Joy. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you for sharing your morning with me. Thank you. And uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex, and if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, 
and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.